it was a hard decision because the vast majority of people go, you know, into academics and continue on the tenure track. And I was pretty apprehensive about leaving that because that's what I had been trained to do at that point. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. All right, today's guest is Catherine Dikas. Catherine is a senior manager in Google's People Analytics Group, which aims to bring science and data to all people-related decisions at Google. Uh, Catherine currently leads a team of social scientists inside Google that conduct in-depth research about how to improve employees' happiness, health, and productivity, as well as promote employee voice. So Catherine's worked at Google since 2008, for, so for, for about 10 years, maybe more than 10 years, and has led projects related to employee onboarding, recognition, performance management, empowerment, citizenship behaviors, and virtual collaboration. Uh, Catherine studied the intersection of business and psychology, both in undergrad and grad school, first at the University of Pennsylvania uh, for undergrad, and then at the University of Michigan for grad school for her PhD. And uh, I am so happy to have her uh, with us today. Uh, Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. So, so let's um let's hear about what you do now. What your job is. We'll we'll kind of like fast forward and rewind a bit. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll be curious about your current job and then kind of how and then we'll trace a little bit about how you got there. But let's why don't we dig into your current job? What what do you do? Uh, how long you've been doing it? Do you like yeah. it? Tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll cut to the punchline. I love my job. Um, I don't like it every day. If you can differentiate between those two things, but I really do love what I do. So. I feel very lucky to be here. And essentially what I do every day is get to play around with cool ideas, puzzles, um, problem-solving activities related to why people feel and think and act the way they do at work and what we can do to make the work experience better for them. And so I'm lucky to work at a place um, that really values the employee experience. So Google really believes, you know, it's not just about the financial bottom line, but really doing right by people and figuring out how to optimize the work experience. And so I essentially work in a little research and design lab within human resources, and we're charged with thinking about what are the kinds of questions or problems that Google will need or want to understand going forward about how people here work. And so we do a lot of data collection and analysis to figure out, you know, how we can do that better, test hypotheses, and then most importantly, package the results in a way that can be used by the business and acted upon. And so I've been doing this pretty much, I mean, in general terms, that same general job uh, for the last 10 years, however, in different capacities. So Um, came in as an analyst and 
over time, you know, started managing teams and now I lead um, about 15 people. Cool. So, so let's, um, it's, it's funny, just as you were talking, I was, I was struggling to kind of paint a picture in my mind of like what, what your daily life is like. Yes. So let's, can you bring us through like a, I, I know no day is the same, I'm sure at anyone's yeah. job, but maybe a prototypical day, like yeah. you get up, you get to work and, and I don't know, what's it like? What are you doing? Yeah. Who are you, who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a lot of variety. And so at any at any given time, we usually have a handful of research projects going on. And they can range from very short, quick turnaround projects. So, you know, an executive might come to us and say, you know, I've got this particular dilemma. What do you know from the external research that speaks to this? Like, how can I learn more about this? And what should I do about it? And that's a case where we don't necessarily have to collect new data at Google, but we can go and do a very quick literature review and turn around like a one or two page summary and send that back to them. So, you know, maybe um, I'm reviewing something that somebody on my team has put together like that. Um, Or it can range all the way through to um, a really, really in-depth research project. Like we have a longitudinal survey that runs every six months to a random sample of Googlers, which is what we call Google employees. And we, we invite these people to take a survey every six months with different kinds of questions. And then we're able to really map their experience over time. And, you know, other projects we do relate to the data collected from that survey. So, you know, from hour to hour, I could be reviewing a very quick turnaround project, a really in-depth, complicated analysis that another analyst on my team has done related to the longitudinal project or anywhere in between. And a lot of the work that I do in particular is not hands-on data analysis anymore, but rather kind of advising and suggesting about how can we either, you know, take the analysis in a new direction or most often, how do we talk about the findings in a way that would be intuitive for a non, non-academic or a non-technical audience? So as we go out to business leaders, how can we help them act on the findings? And are you at the main headquarters of the company? Uh, right now, I'm working in the Bay Area, yes. So I don't work... Um, right in the downtown Googleplex, as it's called. Um, but I work just about a mile away from there. And do you, uh, are the members of your team, um, are they co-located? Do they all work there or, are they, or is this more of a virtual team? Yeah, it's a virtual team. And um, actually, even myself, I spent the last two years working in Tokyo. Um, and my boss, who I've reported to for the last six years, works in New York. And a large part of our team also works in Boulder, Colorado and San Francisco. So it's very much virtual. Yeah, I was wondering, I was trying to picture it in my head and and I was struggling to figure out whether I was imagining like a, you you described it a lot, like I know you have an academic background, like an academic lab and those, you know, that's like, you know, people in a room with a chalkboard, but it's, but but then I was thinking, no, it's probably not like that. (laughs) (laughs) We have a virtual chalkboard. Um, We do have actually virtual whiteboards, but um, but honestly, we borrow a lot of practices from what I learned in uh, in grad school from my advisors. So doing things like research blitzes. So when we you know when we have a really big part of the project to get through, 
we will all come together and try to do that in a co-located fashion because it's just it's faster and it's usually more fun. Right. So 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 you did a you did your undergrad at Penn. And so walk us through like what was it like for you? What was it like for you, you know, senior year, you, you were on the cusp of graduating, trying to figure out what you wanted to do next. Did you jump right into the PhD? Did you do something before? Like, tell us about that experience. Yeah, um, it was fun starting to think back to this time, actually. Um, so I was in the undergrad business program at Penn. And at that time, I don't know what it's like now, but at that time, it was very much focused on finance. So people who were you know, really go-getters generally went to Wall Street from Penn. And that just was not my calling, let's say. And I was fascinated, though, by kind of the droves of people who were on this path. And at that time, I had not yet figured out kind of what was my path going to be. And it was not, it was not a very comfortable time. I felt like I was you know, behind the eight ball and figuring this out. And all I knew for sure is that kind of finance was not my thing, Um, but I didn't know what it was going to be. And so it was a lot of, I would say, fits and starts figuring out, you know, do I want to go down this path? Do I want to go down this other one? And fortunately, I had some, a lot of good mentors who really advised me to kind of slow it down and not jump into something too quickly. And so I wound up um, taking a job with a management consulting firm and doing human capital consulting, which at the time was kind of the closest thing I could map to what I had majored in, which was psychology and business. And off I went to be a management consultant. And I honestly, at that time, really did not know uh, what the future would bring. You know, I kind of just opened the door and didn't actually expect to go to grad school, but just kind of, you know, went off on that path and then kind of took things in as they came. So just to pause for a sec, how did you find that management consulting job? Did, did, did they come recruited Penn? Did you network? Like what was your, how did you, how did you find that? Yes. They came and recruited. I mean, I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit this in retrospect, but I can say now I'm in a happy job, so it's fine. Um, But I think I went to maybe all of one or two company presentations, one of which I absolutely hated, and this other one, which was lukewarm, and basically thought, okay, this is what my working life is going to be like, and I guess I better just go for it. And because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, I felt like that was kind of the prudent thing, at least in the short term, was to pick something and go with it and learn along the way. And in the end, that didn't end up being a terrible strategy. I think sometimes it's easier to rule things out than rule things in. But that's how I found the job. And it ended up being somewhat of a boon because as it turned out, what was really kind of my my own passion or calling was this Um, like you said earlier, intersection of psychology and and the workplace. And being a consultant allowed me to see a lot of different workplaces in a very short period of time. And what was so fascinating to me was not exactly the work I was particularly doing, but just observing all the different people and how they responded to different 
situations and how different individuals responded differently and so forth. It's funny. That's, it's, that's the exact experience I had. And that's, it's probably no surprise that we both got PhDs in organizational behavior. Yeah, I, I remember whenever I tell my story, which is a true story, I was in a consulting company, a small one, and I, I thought the work was really boring, but I kept a secret file on my computer, like, you know, detailing what was happening in the workplace. So that's cool. I, I, I want to hear about sort of a little bit about grad school and then how you transitioned to Google. But before that, you said something really interesting, and I just want to quickly put a point on it here and dive back in for just a second. You said it's easier to rule things out versus rule things in. When you, that, could, that sort of like was this quick turn of phrase, and I was like, huh, that could be interesting. Can you just say a word about that? Sure. Yeah, sure. I think a lot of people spend, Elliot, this is my own observation, but during that time in my life, late kind of college years, even early 20s, I think a lot of people spent a lot of time thinking about who do I want to be? What do I want to do? Who do I want to spend my life with? And hoping that it would just reveal itself to them. And I think the people I observed to have a little bit more success or a little bit more even enjoyment along the way were those who didn't really wait around for this grand thing to reveal itself, but rather take advantage of different experiences and feel it out and start to decide like, this feels right, this doesn't feel right, or this aspect of this experience is good, I'm gonna hold that constant, but then pivot into you know a slightly different area. And that's ultimately, that's kind of the strategy that either knowingly or unknowingly I wound up choosing. And I certainly had a lot of interesting experiences along the way that some of which had absolutely no bearing on what I ended up doing. But they're, you know, fun stories to tell. Right. Oh, that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. So 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 you're at the management consulting firm and what happened? So you how did you end up at Michigan? Yeah, so I uh I spent some quality time and a lot of small cities around the country. So spent almost a year in Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, some time in Wyoming, a lot of time in DC, totally different kinds of workplaces. And I wound up actually leaving the management consulting company and going to work for a tech company in San Diego through a series of interesting decisions. And I was working at the time at a tech company in San Diego for a woman who had a PhD in organizational psychology. And I really, like I mentioned, I never really decided or thought much about going to grad school, but this woman was really um, very influential and I was sort of bored in the job that I was actually in there. And she kind of went out on a limb and she said, of course you're bored. You haven't gotten your PhD yet. And she was kind of kidding, but it really stuck with me. And sometimes that's all it takes is, you know, one person to kind of plant a seed. And I started looking into it and I started, you know, doing some reading about what is this all about? What would a PhD program, you know, give me as far as job opportunities and so forth. And as I started reading more and more about it, I realized oh, this is kind of what I've been doing all along. Like, I'm kind of a natural observer. I've kind of been analyzing my world anyway. And this is a way to actually make it my career. 
And so it was a really interesting kind of series of moments that led me to decide to apply. But, um, you know, I think I was lucky to have met her and also lucky enough to kind of pause and even hear that feedback. You know, I think plenty of times you just kind of let those things go. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's really interesting, and and so you, I, I feel like we're like really fast forwarding here. But so, so you go to Michigan, you get your PhD, and, and uh, but essentially you go to Michigan and you yeah. and you do your PhD, and yeah. uh, and you're then trying to figure out what to do next. And you know, I I know that most people who go to Michigan and get PhDs go on to academic careers, yeah. but you know, I, and in fact, I know many people who have done that. Yeah. Uh, what, what so so tell us about that process and i think it was yeah. you know how did you end up at google and 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 yeah. then kind of bring us to the present yeah i think that the years that i worked before i went back to grad school had a big influence on me and i was i loved grad school i was fascinated by the material my eyes were just open to all these you know observations i'd had in the workplace that i didn't understand but then coming to grad school, I realized, oh, people have studied this stuff. You know, here's why this happens. And there was such a huge gap to me in what was going on in the actual workplace and what people knew from the science. And as much as I really enjoyed being an academic researcher, I think I was just drawn back to how can I share all this great learning with people outside? And so my, my earlier experiences really motivated that quite a bit. And to your point, Andy, like it was a hard decision because the vast majority of people go, you know, into academics and continue on the tenure track. And I was pretty apprehensive about leaving that because that's what I had been trained to do at that point. And then it was kind of a lucky series of events. Um, I happened to be on Google's website one day because I was actually interested in studying companies like Google for my dissertation. And I was looking at what kinds of jobs they hire for and trying to kind of canvas what is this company all about, which at the time, I think this was 2007 or 2006, um, Google was kind of just coming on the scene. I think they had maybe just for the first time, won the Great Places to Work award or whatever. And people were very fascinated by what was going on here. And so I was trying to understand, what is this company all about? And I stumbled on a job description for a PhD intern with exactly the skills I had been learning. And um, I figured, you know, this is kind of coincidental. I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring. And I wound up getting the job offer and... I just couldn't say no. It was like, you know, all these things kind of coming together. And fortunately, um, my advisor at the time could not have been more supportive and, you know, wound up really, you know, being very encouraging of me going, not only for the work experience, but also because it wound up helping me um, stumble on a really interesting dissertation topic. So it was a lot of good things kind of coming together at once. Wow, really cool. So, so then, so then you you uh, you obviously liked it because you've been there for ten years. <laughs> that that yeah. pretty much you you told us you've had some different roles and you've grown into your current role. Yeah, yeah. I I've really enjoyed it. Like I said, I mean, I think 
it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Very interesting. It just keeps being challenging and the company keeps changing. So for somebody like me, who's an observer and interested in just understanding things, there's nothing better than change because there's always new questions and kind of puzzles that come along. So let's, um, let's jump into some, uh, some specific questions now, maybe some, some advice questions. And my first, the first question I have is about misconceptions that, you know, so you've told your story and I'm curious about what misconceptions you think uh, young people have when entering the workplace, I guess, from making that leap from college to the professional world. Yeah. You know, I, I think that people come into the workplace with all sorts of different perspectives. And so not to generalize totally, but I think at least from my perspective, a lot of my peers coming into the workplace, first of all, had some hesitancy about the fact that they had anything to contribute, you know, compared, I went into a management consulting role, you know, what did I know about consulting management? Um, It was hard to believe that I had something to offer. And I think that was a big misconception. Um, Young people have so much to offer in the way of different perspectives, new ways of thinking about problems, new technologies. So that was that myth was busted pretty quickly. I think, though, another thing is that people see the workplace as a pretty, I don't know, uh, maybe like a unidimensional thing, I think, before you enter it. And we all hear about the very traditional career path of promotion and moving up and bigger salary and all of that. And it's hard to understand the web of different options that actually does exist. And so I think another big misconception is just that there's kind of one path to the top or one path to wherever you're going. And in fact, there's so many different paths and most people get off the original path that they're on. So I think that's kind of a, that would be a big one. So when you say get off the original path, can you just give an example, just flesh it out with a example? It could even be a hypothetical example. Yeah, I think so. Countless people that I know started off, you know, going to a pre-law kind of job or, you know, being a paralegal, expecting to go to law school and hated it, right? And go off and pursue an entirely different career. Or I have other friends who have stayed in the same exact kind of domain, you know, let's call it the medical field, but thought they would, you know, go off and become some really heavy hitting surgeon and instead have done international public health or, you know, some other kind of variation on the theme. And so I think that often the entry point is not necessarily path dependent. I think you can really find a lot of different paths within that you don't know, you know, you just don't know about beforehand. Do you think that's easy? Like, like I'm, I'm imagining, I think you're totally right. And I can think about people I know and even myself and totally fits that. What if we were to tell a 20-year-old just that, who's super nervous about finding the best perfect job? Yes. How do you think they'd respond? <laughs> I mean, they'd, they'd probably politely respond. Oh, yes, that's... Right, sure. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. <laughs> what, what, what do you think right. they would think? I mean, if I was talking to myself <laughs> in that time... I think that at that time, all I wanted was a path that I could just follow, right? Like the same kind of a track you're on in this school situation. You kind of 
go from, you know, freshman year to sophomore year and you know what classes are required and so forth. And there's just no required classes, you know, after you graduate and you don't know even what the next milestone is. And I think you've got to trust you'll figure it out. And if you want a more structured career path, they certainly do exist. And so that's a nice option. You know, there's always grad school, there are always, you know, learning programs you can enroll in. Um, But I think also one of the things that I've really come to value more and more over time in my career is patience. And sometimes the longer that I'm in a, a particular role, the more opportunity I see in that role. You know, I I figure out ways to do it differently or kind of reinvent myself even in the role and I'm able to do it better. And so I think, although it seems like a long time at any given moment, I think that people who have a little bit of patience do kind of find some creative opportunity. Hmm. Really interesting. Um, as you're talking, I'm thinking about myself, but we'll we won't make this a therapy session. Uh, so so um so how about um skills and knowledge from college that that ended up being you know useful for your career, maybe unexpectedly useful. Yeah. You know, tell us a bit about that link if there was one. I imagine it's an interesting one because Google certainly didn't exist when you were in college. No. Oh. <laughs> no, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I was in college right when the dot-com bust happened. So, I mean, the fact that I'm here now is, is a little entertaining and would have been surprising at the time. Um, I think that there, you know, there are a lot of things you can point to. You can point to hard skills that you learn, you know, how to be a good writer, how to be a good communicator, basic analytical skills. Those things are so helpful. They carry you through and... They're required, you know, they're kind of table stakes. I think the things that really differentiated uh, kind of once I got into the workplace, the things that became really helpful were the kinds of personal qualities that you develop as during times of some struggle. So in college, for me, for example, I really, I came into college from a pretty easy high school experience and boy, was that a, a wake up call. And I really had to kind of learn how to ask for help, learn how to persevere in the face of a challenge. And it was not easy. And I think some of those skills are really the things that I see differentiating my peers or people on my team now, like people who have, you know, a really strong work ethic or persevere or find different creative kind of problem solving approaches become super valuable, often even more so than people with the better inherent skills. Mm, interesting. Um, that is very, I think that it's not only interesting, it's kind of inspiring because I think a lot of students, it's sort of along the lines of like, you know, what can I possibly add, right? And a lot of these these personal qualities, that's absolutely something you can add. Speaking of students, um, it's time for a student question. So let's let's listen to our student question for today. I'll play it and then uh, we'll see what we think. Yeah. Hi, my name's Logan and I study management and from Boston. I was wondering how your academics transferred into leadership skills in the workplace. Ha, huh, we just talked about that, although we didn't talk about leadership skills. Yes, I think 
leadership is is a hard thing to define. Uh, you kind it's one of those things you kind of know it when you see it. But I I think that so many experiences from from school from college can translate into that. And you know people have exceptional leadership experiences during school. So things like learning how to make a hard decision, act with integrity, demonstrate a really strong commitment to diversity and inclusion. All of these things are, you know, things that I think people learn pretty early on in their in their leadership journey or in their career. And those are the same kinds of things that I think are most inspiring for leaders now. You know, when I look at the leaders who I really respect and admire at Google, they're the people who aren't necessarily the ones with the loudest voices or, you know, always the center of attention, but the most thoughtful, the most ethical, you know, people who really build a strong team around them and um, I think give credit, but then take blame. So they really allow their team to shine and empower them. So, you know, lots of school experiences, I think, teach people this. I played a lot of sports growing up. And I think for me anyway, sports was definitely something that helped me learn a lot of those kinds of uh, qualities. But um, I think it's also something that you can keep improving at over time. Can you give us an example of, uh, that's an interesting one, sort of, because I imagine a lot of people listening certainly have played sports and, you know, growing up in high school, maybe even college. Can you draw a link? Yeah. So I I think, so I played basketball a lot in high school and tennis. And um, I think for me, the basketball team translated a lot to the workplace in the sense of, you don't necessarily have one star. You know, oftentimes you have different people who excel at different things, but one star is never going to win the game for you. You have to have the whole team working together. And um, it's a it's it sounds like a pretty trite example, but I think that a lot of times people get caught up in the workplace in individual achievement. Um, a lot of times, you know, you're paid individually, you're rewarded individually, promoted, and so forth. But really, I think the best leaders find a way to um, really harness the power of the group and realize that, you know, we're all going to succeed or fail at this together. And you you really can't just try to go it alone. And so, I mean, that's a pretty basic example, but so much, I think, is just learned, you know, in those kind of osmosis moments as you're either playing sports or, you know, on some other kind of uh, activity where you're kind of just working together with people. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so, um, so a couple of final questions for you. I call these the quick fire round and, you know, oftentimes these questions end up actually inviting a much longer answer, but let's, let's, let's jump into a couple of them. Um, let me see here. How about, um, how about a piece of advice that someone gave you earlier in your career that, perhaps you didn't take, but you wish you did. And if there isn't something exactly like that, maybe a, maybe something about early career advice that, that you might be able to share. Yeah, I would, I would go to something from my dad. And people always, he would say, people always like to say life is short. And so make the most of it. And he said, life is long. So in fact, you really don't want, you don't want to make a decision that you're stuck with forever. That's not the right one. And so his piece of advice was, 
pick a job that doesn't feel like work. And it took me a while to figure out what that meant for me because it's, it's hard, you know, you have to really figure that out individually. But I think that was a great advice. That's good advice. And what, what would, what would, what questions would you ask yourself? I'm just trying to imagine someone listening. What kinds of questions I wonder would one ask oneself to notice if it's sort of work or non-work, you know? I, I would, the kinds of things I asked myself were, you know, what was I thinking about or what was I reading about or observing or wanting to talk about when I was not at work or when I, you know, when I was with my friends and in my spare time, what was I procrastinating with when I was supposed to be doing something else? And if and, we, and, and what if the answer is that I play Fortnite? <laughs> well, hey, how can you turn that into a <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Actually, what if? What if? How do you draw? I mean, I'm not fully serious. I have, right, I have a, right. I have a 12 year old who would probably answer that. But, but, uh, yeah. but, um, but what if? I mean, th- that is a cool. I, I, I totally get that, and that makes a lot yeah. of sense. It's, it's almost like the side hustle idea. Yeah, exactly. But what if you don't have a side hustle? What? How would you? I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. It's just, an, it's just, oh, it's, it's just, re- it's just really good advice. I think about, you know. In fact, it's funny because my dad told me the same thing. Actually, oh, really? was to find, you know, to, well, and he's still, you know, he's still working, and and uh, yes, and, and I think it's because he doesn't experience it as work. Yes, same. And so, yeah. I, but I wonder, like, how you find that? It's it's yeah. it's it's elusive, huh? It is elusive, and I think you've got to you've got to have some trust that it will it will happen. And sometimes I, I think Steve Jobs gave I think he was the one who gave a, kind of a commencement speech one time, who said, you know, it's hard to connect the dots looking forward, but often you can connect the dots looking back. And if you kind of look at the things that you have pursued over the course of your life without necessarily trying to, what is the common thread? Mm. And what does that tell you about, you know, the kinds of things that you enjoy or the people that you enjoy? I had another professor in grad school, Jane Dutton, who said, you know, what are the environments where you feel at your best? And how could you spend more time in those environments? And, you know, I think that's another clue to just kind of pick up along the way and try to connect the dots and keep kind of, you know, moving toward things that are inspiring. Mm, it's interesting. It makes me, I this image of, uh, of like the typical career advice, or maybe not, I don't know if it's typical, but certainly one form of career advice where it's just, you just got to put your head down and, you know, right. work hard, but this is like the complete opposite. Oh, yeah. and, <laughs> I mean, the worst possible advice for somebody who is trying to figure out their, you know, their next path. But um, I think it's hard to not also feel paralyzed in a moment like that, right? If you don't know what your thing is, you know, how do you actually take action? And I think the kind of the compliment of, you know, find something that you're really passionate about is, don't wait to do some, don't wait to do anything until you find the perfect thing. You know, that's where it comes in kind of like rule stuff out um, as you go along. Cause I think everything that you do gives you a little clue. 
Yeah, no, that's excellent advice. So, 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 hey, we're we're really at the end of our chat. It's funny. I just looked at the time, and time just flew. And uh, you know, I just want to thank you so much for for being our guest. Um, uh, if 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 people are interested in the work that you guys do at Google, is is any of it public? Is there anything people could yeah. check out? Actually, yes, we publish a lot of our research on a site called Rework. The website is Rework. So R E W O R K dot with google.com and there's a ton of our research on the site and i think it would give a pretty good you know example into what kinds of work we're doing and the puzzles that we engage with awesome cool i'll check it out myself too (laughs) yeah please do (laughs) oh thanks so much for being on appreciate it yeah my pleasure andy thanks so much have a good day Okay, so that is the end of the Catherine Dekas episode. Uh, I have here uh, Manus, Ali, and Kevin to chat about it. So, what what stood out to you about about uh, about this episode? What you think? I thought it was actually really interesting and ironic in a way that even a huge data giant like Google still needs psychologists um, and real people to kind of figure out how to deal with organizational behavior. Um, and I thought this was a really, really engaging discussion about kind of feeling your way through and um, finding a path of your own when we've all kind of been very used to going through this kind of streamlined educational system where we know exactly what's coming up next. Yeah, her, her path was pretty circuitous, right? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't obvious. What did you guys think? Yeah, so that that gave me a lot of comfort. Like when she first wanted to go into finance and then she wasn't sure and then she eventually found a path and is in a top company and is really successful. That like gave me a sense of comfort that like even like as a college student, if even if I don't know what to do, like in a few years or like a few decades, everything in my life is going to pan out. Yeah, I mean, similarly, I also felt a little bit comforted, um, mostly because I actually have a personal interest in organizational behavior. Um, so it was really cool to hear about how her path has pivoted, um, especially starting finance. And then I loved how she mentioned how uh, she felt bored at a lot of her jobs. And it was actually her boss that um, suggested a PhD almost jokingly. So, I mean, hearing that was, I mean, for me as a senior a relief, because I'm sure I'm after a year at my first job, I'll feel a little bit bored. Um, but also kind of like taking off the stress of not necessarily going directly to grad school too. What did she say? She said something like, like, like I'm bored. She's like, that's because you haven't done a PhD yet or yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting as well. Just just how um, how she ended up in a completely different place from where she started and how like serendipitous it was during during her PhD even that she ended up at Google. And I also thought it was cool how at a top university like Michigan, you know, I know I'm a, I'm a professor and I know there's a lot of pressure on PhD students to follow the academic path. And I thought it was cool that that her her advisors and mentors were were so open-minded. Do you know what I mean? To kind of yeah. give, give her the, the blessing. <laughs> how about how about in terms of um, in terms of your your well, you sort of mentioned it, but in terms of your careers, was there anything else that stood out in terms of, she, she had a lot of interesting insights and advice. Anything else st- st- stood out to you? You did, I think, a really great job picking out what she said of, um, it's easier to rule things out than rule things in, because I completely agree. Something that's been really big for me in my own kind of adventure of choosing what I want to do in life is 
I think a lot of us go into college not realizing exactly what our path is going to be. And the easiest thing for us to do is to kind of like feel our way in the dark and find which things kind of click with us and pursue those. And so it was nice that she, our first two jobs, um, she said that the presentations, one she hated and the other one was lukewarm, but she found what she loved in that, which was um, the organizational behavior of it. And that took her where she wanted to go. Yeah, I mean, I really, similarly to also what Kevin said, I thought that it was great that she mentioned that she kind of had to reflect on these habits that she already had in order to figure out that organizational behavior um, was what she, like, what was the best fit for her. Uh, similarly as well, I mean, she was able to kind of rule out what didn't work quicker, um, which, I mean, as an undergraduate who wants, like, who will be graduating soon, I... That's comforting to hear as well because you kind of are hoping that you'll like your first job right away and that'll work out. But it's nice to hear someone who's so successful and pivoted so much as well to say that you're probably not and it's going to help you along the way. Yeah, I found it really um, interesting in the way she found her path. Like, so every conversation that that you have like has an impact on you and that's what I got from this like even one small thing that someone says it can like probably like start a thought which will progress in your mind over time so I mean it just made me want to like take more opportunities and speaking to like more experienced people who have the who do plant these thoughts in my mind so yeah it's like it's an interesting point because it's like People often talk about networking sort of in an instrumental way, you know, you know, creating contacts and building your network and so on. But I mean, there's another benefit to networking, which is like just hearing different stuff from different people. Right. And you're kind of collecting all that in your subconscious. you know. And it's sort of like, I, I mean, you know, that's kind of cool. Like even while you're sleeping and while you're walking around, it's like all that stuff is kind of brewing. And, and then, and then some opportunity hits, like, you know, you hear about this internship at Google and you're like, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds cool. Um, so anything about Google, by the way, that was kind of interesting. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, would you want to work at Google? Does it sound like a cool place to work? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody talks about what an incredible place Google is to work at. They have their entire, they've got the Googleplex, they've got slides I mean, slides meaning like they've got literal to, slides going through there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Google is definitely a dream for a lot of people. Um, a lot of my friends are actually women who are looking to go into tech, and I think that Google is actually a very high place that's put on a pedestal for a lot of people that are wanting to go into that kind of a career. Hmm. Interesting. I also really like that she was really realistic about her job. So I like that she said that she likes her job, but she doesn't like every day of the job. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that stuck with me, because in anything we do, there are going to be like good days and bad days and boring days. But we just have to persevere to like reach a higher position and reach like a place of authority and success. Yeah, it, it sort of normalizes it, yeah. right? It's not some sort of like idealized. It's not like some idealized perfect thing. And it's also not some awful thing. It's like, you know. I don't know. It's like everything. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Allie, anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think it, especially when she was talking about Google, um, I mean, I personally didn't realize how integrated, like, social scientists were in their, um, like, company, and which definitely makes sense after listening to her podcast, just because, I mean, if you look up the size of the company, you have all these people from all over. Um, so, I mean, 
it was, yeah, it was really cool to hear about how much research she's actually conducting in such a corporate environment that apparently has like a really good morale structure. So yeah, I, I guess the bottom line is that social scientists rule the world. Is that <laughs> all right? So, uh, so that's it for, for this week's episode. Um, please follow us on Instagram at from the dorm room podcast. Uh, we're also at Facebook on Facebook and Twitter. And if you could, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed our other episodes, please leave a review on iTunes. In fact, Please review. Please leave a five star review on iTunes. It, it really helps us out, and especially it helps people discover the podcast, so we can bring these stories to more people. And that's it for today. And I, we will see you next time on uh, from the dorm room to the boardroom. <laughs>